Good morning. It is Kale and Company live for a Monday. Great to have you along with us at WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. And joining us on this Monday morning is the head football coach at the University of New Hampshire, Rick Santos. Rick, good morning to you. Good morning, Ken. Thanks for having me again. Well, it is uh, always our pleasure, and the Wildcats now 5-2 and two overall, following their 14 nothing victory at Dartmouth Saturday. Beautiful day in Hanover. Your thoughts uh, on that win, Coach Santos? It was a beautiful day for football. Uh, yeah, I was just really, really happy with the way our guys competed. That's a tough environment to win. Um, obviously, them being the back-to-back Ivy League champions, They've done a great job protecting their home turf over the last decade. So um, went up there and, you know, just kind of wanted to work hard to impose our will on them. Uh, it's a very, very good football team who kind of, you know, they handed it to us and embarrassed us a year ago. So we went in there with a chip on our shoulder. I thought we controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball extremely well. Um, you know, we, we dominated in the time possession, which was huge. You know, we had 38 minutes of, uh, of time possession in that game, and we felt like we needed to establish a ground game if we were going to keep their potent offense off the field. Um, you know, Dylan Lobby was a game-time decision. We decided to ultimately keep him out of that contest to, to heal him up for league play as we finished up down the stretch. So I was extremely happy with Isaac Seed getting his first start, how, how he ran the ball, you know, running for 127 yards and, and was very efficient all day. Well, that that he was, and uh, I, I know that he had only uh, carried the ball uh, 14 times this season before Saturday, and uh, 26 carries, as you mentioned, for 127 yards and uh, breaking tacklers at the line of scrimmage. I thought uh, the the sophomore Isaac Seed uh, ran very very well. Yeah, it was one of those things, Ken, where you know I think Dylan Dylan could have went. Uh, he wanted to go. He's a competitor. Um, you know, but we just felt like how how Isaac prepared all week uh, and really all year leading up to this point that he was ready. He was ready for the moment and, and certainly made us look good as coaches. So uh, just a credit to him, his preparation and, and how hard he ran in that game. And then, you know, our offensive line did a really good job, too, of kind of, you know, blowing open some, some big holes and just giving him some rush lanes to, to make the ease up the load a little bit on his end as well. And that certainly helped with the time of possession because you kept moving those chains, and it was a, a great thing to see. I, I was at the game, but I, I missed the first part of it. I had another commitment, but I, I was listening on the way up to our good friend Bob Lipman called the play-by-play, and I know it opened with uh, a, a, a great kickoff return to start the game and then a long pass play on the first uh, play from scrimmage. So pretty good way to start that one. Yeah, it was. Um you know, I, we we chunked uh, you know an explosive play on the return there, which was great. Caleb Mead, that was actually his first time returning a kick in his career as well. He's one of our uh, our backup defensive backs, so he did a good job, really getting, giving us a spark. And then, you know, we had a run pass option where Joey Corcoran kind of found the the vacated area in the middle part of the zone. It took one fifty six to get all the way down to their red zone and. You know, we methodically kind of ran it from there and got close and, and found a way to, to get the ball in the end zone. So, um, yeah, it was a great first drive. You know, we felt like we needed to get off to a fast start and try to put the pressure on them, but we were able to do that. Um, you know, but then ultimately, you know, we did. We sputtered a little bit in the second half. We got shut out. Um, 
thank goodness that our defense played so well all day and they, they kind of bailed us out there. Well, that they did, but uh, you did have, despite the fact you didn't score in the second half, uh, you, you did have a couple of pretty long time-consuming drives, so uh, that helped. It certainly did. You know, I think it was one of those things where the game plan was run efficiently, um, you know, but there's always those things where you want to have back and good teachable moments in the win. You know, in the in the third quarter, we had a nice long drive, as you mentioned. We had first and goal in the one, had an opportunity to go up 21 points, uh, had an you know run pass option called. You know that ultimately, you know, would in hindsight would have loved to hand the ball off in that situation. We threw it. Um, you know, they end up intercepting it, getting an interception in the end zone. So that's one of those things where it's good teachable moments for for Max Brosmer, kind of situational football when we want to hand it off. And then ultimately it falls on me. You know, I probably should have killed the RPO and just forced the run there. So some different things that we kind of squandered some opportunities, but really proud with the way that the guys kept fighting. Yeah, no no doubt about that. And uh, as you mentioned, that uh, first series, which didn't last very long in the game because you scored uh, uh, less than two minutes into the opening quarter. How important was that to, to get off to a, a good start in that one? Uh, I, I think it's critical, especially a team like that. You know, they hung... 600 yards of offense against us last year and whatever it was, 38 points, completely controlled the game. Um, so we wanted to neutralize their their two-headed monster at quarterback and keep those guys off the field. Uh, they have a big physically imposing offensive line, and you know we felt like we got those guys going and gave them rhythm on the uh, on their offensive side of the ball. It wasn't going to be good for us. So I think it was just it was really good complimentary football all day, and, and we're working extremely hard to continue to do that. Yeah, great win for the Wildcats, as you mentioned. Two-time defending uh, Ivy League champions in, in Dartmouth and a very well-coached uh, football team as well. And to come away with a, a shutout a shutout victory is really something. And uh, 10 players uh, caught passes on Saturday. So what does that uh, tell you about your receiving depth? Well, I, I think they're... First and foremost, they're doing a great job being selfless and, and understanding their roles. We have a lot of different personnel packages and creative ways to get our guys open in space. Um, so just, you know, credit to them and, and Coach Barnett, um, our receiver coach, just making sure he's kind of managing egos in that room. And then I think, you know, Max Brosman is being very efficient with the football. He's seeing the field extremely well right now. We always knew he had a quick release and could get the ball out of his hands, but I think the way he's processing information in real time and making making those decisions um, at an expedited process, I, I think that's huge for us. Um, you know, and you know, you look. Joey Corker has been someone the retro freshman who stepped up huge the last few weeks. Obviously, he had another big big game with 90 yards. Um, you know, Brian Espinet has been a touchdown machine the last couple of weeks. You know, he only had two catches, one of them for a touchdown. He's still finding a way to to play. So, really happy with the way our whole whole unit is kind of working well together. Head coach Rick Santos of the UNH Football Wildcats is with us and a very big uh, Colonial Athletic Association uh, conference game ahead on uh, Saturday in Durham. The 4-0 Wildcats uh, in the CAA against a 3-1 Elon, and uh, that should be a beauty. Oh, it's going to be uh, going to be a slugfest. Elon is you know extremely talented. Watching them for for a while last night, um, extremely well coached. You know. Coach, um, Coach Trishiani is, uh, is a mentor, a dear friend. He actually recruited me to the University of New Hampshire way back in the day when, when he was a uh, secondary coach here. So he's, he's an elite head coach. He's a great motivator. I know his guys are going to be well-prepared and come in here and, and give us their best shot. So uh, we got to get back to work and, you know, fight the, fight the urge for self-gratification and, and, you know, having 
everybody tell us how good we are. I think we gotta we gotta block out the noise this week. Um, we gotta you know nobody cares about you know ultimately our goals at the end of the year can aren't to be you know rated number one in the CAA after week seven or eight. You know we have bigger goals than that, so we got to make sure that we stay focused at the task at hand and um, just really you know prepare extremely well this week. So what do you look at as the the keys against uh, Elon on Saturday? Well, um, you know I think they're gonna they're gonna blitz and they're gonna play a lot of man to man and kind of their their defensive. I think this is gonna be the strongest defensive back group that we faced all year. Two really good long lockdown corners, physical physical safeties. Um, so we got to find a way to, to beat press coverage out wide. Uh, I think they're really stout at the defense tackle position, you know. So our uh, our offensive line needs to do a great job of uh, making sure that we can work hard in our double teams and have great technique because those guys anchor in there pretty well. So you know, again, similar similar to our process each week. We want to we want to establish a ground game early, but I think this one more more uh, in particular, we're going to have to make some some contested throws down the field, and they're going to challenge us. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, they got a really really good offensive scheme where they're very multiple. I think um, their offensive skill is dynamic as well. You know, Jackson Parnum's a guy who uh, he's a senior receiver that's been all conference for the last couple of years, can really stretch the field. So we got to know where he is. Um, and then and then Matthew McKay, you know, the transfer quarterback from NC State, big, physically imposing young man, got a cannon for an arm, playing really really good football right now. I think he's top fifteen in the country in pass efficiency. So um, yeah, it's going to be an awesome test. Well, it's going to be a good one, no doubt about that. And again, uh, Coach, congratulations on the uh, victory Saturday at Dartmouth. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ken. All right. Rick Santos, head coach of football at the University of New Hampshire. A little uh, coffee with the coach on this Monday morning. And the uh, Wildcats blanking the big green 14 to nothing. And uh, no easy task, especially in Hanover, where the big green has uh, played uh, very tough uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, as we did mention, two-time defending Ivy League champions. Nothing to sneeze at. So, big win for the Wildcats. But their focus now is on the uh, game this coming Saturday against the Phoenix of Elon. That's right. And uh, UNH 4-0 in the conference. Elon is 3-1. and We'll take a break. It is Kale & Company live right here on a Monday on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Kale and Company live for a Monday, and it is a delight to have you along with us. Thanks again to head coach Rick Santos of the UNH Wildcats. Off to a terrific start this season. 5-2 and two overall, 4-0 and oh in the conference. How about the Patriots? Patriots are on a roll. Rookie backup uh, Bailey Zappi threw for 309 yards and a couple of touchdowns in his third NFL game. And Bill Belichick uh, tied George Hallis, Papa Bear. George Hallis for second on the all-time list with his 324th victory and the Patriots buried the Browns in Cleveland on Sunday afternoon by a final of 38-15. Zappi was starting his second game in place of the injured Mac Jones. He threw second-half touchdown passes to rookie Tyquan Thornton and Hunter Henry. 
got into the action yesterday. Henry, uh, Patriots tight end, has not been seeing a whole lot of targets uh, early on uh, in the season. But he did yesterday, scored a touchdown as the Patriots, now 3-3, three and three, uh, pulled away from the anemic Browns attack. Ramondre Stevenson, Patriots running back, rushed for a couple of touchdowns for the Patriots. Zappi, 24 of 34 passing, a week after he threw for 188 yards and a touchdown in his first start against Detroit. He beats Cleveland. Now, not two of the tougher teams in the NFL, but listen, uh, nor are the Patriots, and they're playing very well against the teams they should beat. Talking about last week, Detroit, and yesterday, Cleveland, uh, and they did, and in both cases, by a lot. So uh, the Patriots now 3-3, and and looking forward to uh, another game uh, home game against the Chicago Bears Monday night, one week from tonight, Monday night football for the Patriots and the Bears. Uh, Belichick is now 324 wins and 159 losses, including the playoffs, and has a chance to pass George Hallis on the all-time list one week from tonight at home against, of all teams, the Chicago Bears, the franchise with which Hallis won all of his games. And as a matter of fact, uh, Bill Belichick was talking in his postgame press conference yesterday about the fact that his dad uh, was an assistant under George Hallis with the Chicago Bears. And uh, Bill Belichick, as a kid, got a chance to hang out in the Bears locker room in Chicago while Papa Bear, George Hallis, uh, was the head coach, as he was for many, many years. And the only guy that uh, has more coaching victories now in the NFL's history than Bill Belichick is Don Shula. That is still going to be a, uh, a record that is uh, tough to beat. But the Patriots uh, looking good. And uh, the, the best part about the whole thing, I mean, is the way that uh, Bailey Zappi is certainly filled in for Mac Jones. And it's a good situation for the Patriots because they know now that they don't have to rush Mac Jones back into action because they have uh, a more than adequate backup quarterback who arguably takes better care of the football than Mac Jones. Mac Jones in the game, uh, he was hurt through three interceptions. And Zappi, I don't believe, I think he's, has, I think he's thrown one pick. Uh, since he's uh, been uh, playing in the backup role for Mac Jones. But uh, he has looked very good. I mean, he seems that he sees the field very well, takes good care of the football, uh, runs the offense as well as certainly you could expect for someone with uh, two-plus games of pro experience. So you have to feel good about the way that uh, Bailey Zappi has come in and uh, really uh, taken over and taken over well for the injured Mac Jones. So the uh, quarterback, quote-unquote, controversy will continue this week on the uh, Boston sports talk shows and in the newspapers. Who should be the starting quarterback for your New England Patriots? Should it be the rookie, Bailey Zappi, or 
should second-year man Mac Jones be automatically handed back the reins after he is uh, fully recovered from his injury? Well, we shall see. We shall see what happens. But it is, uh, you know, reassuring to know that uh, Bailey Zappi can come in and do the job and uh, really uh, do it very well. It was a very, very busy uh, weekend in and around the uh, Concord area. Uh, We had a big dare race at State Police on uh, Saturday, which was uh, well attended on a beautiful day, a great day for running. I, by the way, watched the runners uh, and it was a 5K, and uh, hats off to Dick Peralt, Detective Sergeant, New Hampshire State Police, who was in our studios not long ago to talk about the dare race. It was a great success. Uh, run around uh, a course on uh, Hazen Drive around the State Police headquarters in Concord, and a beautiful day for it and uh, good participation, and uh, we hope that uh, we'll have even more people next year for the dare race at State Police. And then, uh, also on Saturday in Manchester, the Red Arrow Diner commemorated its 100th anniversary. Yes, 100 years of the Red Arrow Diners in New Hampshire. And the celebration was held at the original location, which is still thriving, on Lowell Street in Manchester under the direction of the owner, Carol Lawrence Erickson, and uh, her dad, who has been a driving force over the years, uh, George Lawrence. And it was just a great time. Saw a lot of, uh, a lot of folks there. Uh, Mike Morin, longtime uh, radio broadcaster uh, in New Hampshire, and a good friend of mine, is, uh, has written a book about the history, the 100-year history of the uh, Red Arrow Diner. And... Uh, it's right now at the printers, and it's going to be out soon. So it'll be a nice Christmas gift if you're a fan of the uh, Red Arrow Diners uh, in the area in uh, Manchester. There's one on uh, Loudon Road in Concord. Uh, another location in Londonderry, and the newest one uh, is in Nashua. So uh, a great history and uh, always a lot of fun to go there. And, uh, you know, the, the tradition continues and probably will continue for another hundred years. So that was a great day. John Clayton, a uh, longtime uh, union leader, or columnist, uh, was there giving a little history about the uh, the Red Arrow Diner, and it was just a, a terrific time, and uh, the food was terrific uh, as well. Lots of, uh, lots of people showed up for that. Then I uh, checked out the uh, Dartmouth-UNH football game uh, in Hanover. Great foliage up there, great setting. If you've never been to uh, Hanover, to uh, Dartmouth College for a football game, and you have uh, any interest in football at all. It's a great setting. It, it truly is great foliage, especially at this time of year. And it was a lot of fun to go up there and then uh, travel south and head to uh, Durham to see the UNH Boston College hockey game on uh, Saturday night, which unfortunately uh, UNH lost by a score of 4-2. to But we'll be talking more about Hockey East in just a little while here on the program today with John Leahy. And uh, John is the voice of Merrimack College Hockey, but he did Saturday night's game between uh, UNH and Boston College on ESPN+. Plus. 
So he'll be able to give us a little insight on the uh, Wildcats as well, who are now 2-1 uh, and one on the season and will visit uh, Merrimack College tomorrow night in a Hockey East battle. And yesterday, the Making Strides Against Breast Cancer Walk, which started at Memorial Field, and I walked in that one, and our path took us right by the WKXL Studios. How about that? And just a beautiful, they could not have asked for a better day for the Making Strides Against uh, Breast Cancer uh, walk, and uh, lots of money was raised uh, in the effort to fight uh, breast cancer and, uh, you know, continue to do uh, research, and so many survivors were there. It was uh, great to see on an amazing fall day. The foliage was terrific and, uh, you know, great camaraderie and uh, also, when you finished up, great food as well, thanks to a lot of great uh, area merchants and uh, restaurants. And it was just uh, a, a, a terrific day. And uh, Hats off to the organizers of the event. And uh, the fun bunch ran in it. Yeah, we were all there walking. Tom Raffio, Kitty Ray, and myself, along with uh, Tom's wife, Ellen, and uh, Havana, their granddaughter. So it was just uh, an amazing day. So many thousands took place, uh, took uh, a part in the race. In, 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 I don't want to say race, but it was not a race. It was a walk. If it was a race, I probably would not have been in it. But it was a beautiful walk on a gorgeous uh, fall day and an amazing event. And there's some coverage on it today uh, in the Concord Monitor as well. We'll take a break. More Kale & Company coming up right after these words on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. It is Kale & Company Live. It's a Monday here on WKXL. Great to have you along with us. 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming worldwide at NHTalkRadio.com. It's on this date, October 17th. 2001, that Dixville Notch resident Neil Tillotson died at the age of 102. I know that name probably sounds familiar to a lot of you uh, for any number of reasons. First of all, uh, Neil Tillotson, who died on this date uh, 21 years ago, invented the latex balloon. Where would we be today without latex balloons. He also changed, uh, chased Pancho Villa with Pershing's Cavalry. And you probably know him for this more than anything else. He cast the first vote in U.S. presidential elections for more than four decades at Dixville Notch. Died on this date in uh, 2001, Neil Tillotson. Uh, Abiel, that was his first name, Abiel, A-B-I-A-L, Abiel Red Rolf, everybody knew him as Red Rolf, uh, was born on this date in Pentecook. And he would go on to play on this date in 1908, I should add. Uh, he would go on to play baseball with the New York Yankees from 1934 to 42 and was hailed by many as the team's best third baseman ever. And his career 
would bridge those of uh, Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio. Batted 293 lifetime, played in six World Series. After retiring as an active player, he went on to coach baseball and basketball at Yale University. Coached professionally in both sports and managed the Detroit Tigers. And then served as athletic director for a long time at Dartmouth College. So uh, Red Rolf, born on this date in 1908. And also born on this date in 1939, David Souter was born in Melrose, Massachusetts, my hometown, on this date in 1939. He went on to attend Concord High School and Harvard, and then eventually rose to the United States Supreme Court. So some of the happenings uh, on this date, thanks again to the uh, Concord Monitor. By the way, and we get a lot of great information uh, out of the Monitor. Uh, Eileen O'Grady had an article this morning that the United States Marine Band is coming to Concord High School. How about this? And John Stark uh, Regional High School in Ware next week as part of its tour of the northeastern United States where they'll work with uh, music students and perform a free, that's right, a free public concert. The band will perform an evening concert at Concord High School this week on October the 20th, which is free and open to the public. So there you go. October 21st, uh, on October 21st, I should say, band director Colonel Jason K. Fettig, who was originally from Manchester, will work with the Concord High School band. A Marine bass player will work with the Concord High School orchestra and a percussionist will be working with percussion students, according to a music teacher Gabe Cohen. As far as the concert is concerned, it is coming up uh, this week on Thursday. And if you'd like uh, ticket details, now the tickets are free, uh, just visit marineband.marines.mil/tour. Again, that's marineband.marines.m I-L slash tour. Pretty cool. The United States Marine Band performing live at Concord High School this Thursday night. Well, you know what you can do today? You know what you can buy over the counter today, starting today, that you've never been able to buy over the counter before? Maybe not what you're thinking. How about... Hearing aids. First time ever. You can just walk in wherever hearing aids are sold and buy them over the counter. No need for a visit to the doctors or a prescription or anything else. You can just go in, lay your money down or probably your credit card down and buy yourself an over-the-counter hearing aid. Now, over-the-counter hearing aids are approved for adults 18 years of age or older. They're indicated for individuals with mild to moderate hearing loss. Available in stores or online, and the consumer is responsible for setting up the device, including fitting and tuning the sound. 
again, does not require a hearing exam or prescription from a physician or a hearing health care professional. Although not required, any consumer uh, can get a hearing test from an audiologist before buying over-the-counter hearing aids. The key benefit is finding out if an over-the-counter hearing aid device can be useful for the consumer's hearing loss because not all hearing loss is the same. Through an office visit, which is usually not covered by insurance, the audiologist also can provide support on how to use the -the over-the-counter hearing aids. OTC hearing aids, over-the-counter hearing aids, are meant to be less expensive than professionally fitted hearing aids. Reasons for lower cost include technology differences and buying only the device and uh, not any professional services. Current estimates are that uh, over-the-counter hearing aids will cost between $300 and $600 per device. $300 to $600. And I'll tell you what, my mother had uh, hearing aids for years, and I know for a fact uh, that she paid a lot more than $300 to $600 for her uh, hearing aid, and that was many years ago when uh, she was uh, buying hearing aids. The Food and Drug Administration Reauthorization Act of 2017 directed the FDA to establish and develop regulations for a class of over-the-counter hearing aids in response to demands by consumers and other government agencies for affordable and accessible hearing aids in the United States. The FDA is in the process of finalizing regulations that will apply to this new class of amplification devices. These rules will include the following. Number one, how loud these devices can be. Number two, what labeling will be required on the outside and inside of the box that these devices come in, and three, what requirements are related to the sale of these devices? So what's the benefit of having uh, over-the-counter hearing aids available? Well, studies show that the average person waits seven to ten years after first experiencing symptoms before seeking professional hearing help. Studies also link untreated hearing loss with an increased risk of depression, falls, and earlier onset of decline in thought processes. One goal of the -the over-the-counter hearing aids is to provide more timely access to lower-cost hearing aids. And and that's true. I know that uh, many people on fixed incomes in particular uh, could not afford the hearing aids, which, you you know, cost... In, in most cases, thousands of dollars. Uh, OTC hearing aids may be a good first step in getting people uh, situational hearing help earlier. However, uh, when individuals need a more customized solution, have complex medical issues, or have an increasing degree of hearing loss, they need to involve an audiologist to create a comprehensive plan of care. Uh, Over-the-counter hearing aids are approved for use only in adults 18 years of age and older who have mild to moderate symptoms. Uh, It's advised that individuals individuals receive a hearing test from an audiologist to find out the level of hearing loss. And uh, 
Consider the following questions to identify mild to moderate hearing loss. Number one, are you able to hear easily in quiet one-on-one situations? Two, are there a few difficult listening situations where you think you would want to wear the uh, OTC hearing aids as opposed to feeling like you would need it in most communication situations? And three, does turning up the volume on the phone or TV just slightly help you hear better? This level might be considered a little loud by others, but not extremely loud, as opposed to needing to turn these devices up quite a bit to a bit of a level that uh, bothers others. So ask yourself those questions. And, uh, you know, maybe for those of you who thought you were priced out of a hearing aid, maybe the uh, -the over-the-counter hearing aids are the answer for you. And you can do it starting today. How about that? Another breakthrough in the uh, world of uh, technology and uh, also affordability. We'll take a break and we'll talk some college hockey coming up. Hockey East specifically with our good friend uh, John Lay. John Leahy coming up after this break on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region. 1019 FM in Manchester, streaming around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Don't you dare go away. We will be right back. Welcome back. Kale and Company live for a Monday. It's a delight to have you with us on WKXL, 1450 AM, 1039 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. And joining us right now is the uh, longtime voice of the Merrimack College Warriors hockey team, John Leahy. John, good morning. Welcome. Jim, good morning to you. Thanks so much for the invitation. I look forward to chatting with you. Well, John, always uh, a pleasure to have you uh, on the program. And I I know you were... uh, Broadcasting uh, Saturday night's game on ESPN Plus, UNH Wildcats opening up their home season and their Hockey East schedule, uh, taking on Boston College. UNH uh, got off to an early lead, but uh, Boston College came back to win mm-hmm. that one. Yeah, they sure did. Uh, with UNH's energy camp coming out, uh, they got the big goal in front of the large crowd at the Whittemore Center. But, uh, Boston College, very workmanlike effort. The Eagles didn't panic, and uh, you know they were able to kind of take over the game in the second period. And I thought that UNH showed some urgency there, down three to one. Uh, they got the big goal from Kyle Erickson, uh, kind of back to three to two. But UNH pulled the goaltender, and BC was able to get an odd man rush and finish the game off. But all in all, kind of very entertaining first hockey matchup for both those squads. Yeah, it was a very entertaining game. Must have been a fun game to call for you, John, and uh, your cohort, Pete Webster, on the ESPN Plus call. But a, a great game to watch from a, spe- a spectator standpoint. And that place was electric on opening night. Great atmosphere. Yeah, it sure was, Ken. Now, we got the attendance figure. It was uh, 6,200 fans. And uh, I, I really applaud the UNH fans and the community for coming out and supporting Bob, it's been a long time since I've seen the wit that packed, and I think if UNH can generate attendance like that uh, for the remainder of the season, it's going to be very, a very special experience to catch a UNH Wildcat hockey. 
Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Always a good atmosphere. COVID, of course, brought the attendance down uh, somewhat, but uh, hopefully the fans will be back as as they were on Saturday night, packing the packing the wit and uh, making it just a, a great uh, college hockey uh, atmosphere. The Wildcats are coming off a loss, but uh, tomorrow night uh, we'll uh, travel just a little bit south to North Andover, Massachusetts to take on the team that you've been so close to in, uh, in uh, recent years, the Merrimack College Warriors, and uh, that, that should be a terrific matchup tomorrow evening. Yeah, it really will. For Merrimack, to see their home opener. They went up to St. Lawrence UNH did on the first weekend, and uh, they had an excellent last week off, last weekend off. So uh, I know uh, Merrimack is looking forward to being back on home ice, and it's always a, a terrific rivalry with UNH. Of course, the two schools are only an hour apart from each other, and it'll be give the Merrimack fans a chance to see this men's team for the first time, which has a totally new look. The Warriors picked up five players in the transfer portal. And I think it's going to be an exciting game, a very uh, close game, as it usually is when these two teams battle. And, uh, of course, the, the big thing tomorrow night is uh, Merrimack will be honoring uh, the life of Coach Josh Siaco, who tragically passed away about a week and a half in the thirty-eight. So both UNH and Merrimack will honor Josh before the game. Uh, Josh, of course, played his collegiate hockey at UNH, so in a very nice gesture. Yeah, no, no doubt about that, and uh, it'll be uh, first uh, first conference game of the year for uh, the Warriors. Yes, well, Merrimack uh, will open up with UNH uh, as far as the home schedule goes. They uh, they will play Colgate this coming weekend at home for two games, but then uh, right back to the play in Boston College. So uh, you know the, the Normandy the Normandy games are great; they make you better. But I think that there's nothing like seeing two hockey. So, John, who's supposed to be good this year in, in Hockey East? Well, you know, we the preseason poll came out, Ken, the media gave their thoughts about uh, who will finish where. And I think the consensus of this Northeastern team is going to be They bring back the best goaltender in the country, Devin Levi. They bring back one of the top offensive players in the country, the Huskies swept Vermont in the If you're looking at uh, the top of the conference, I think you have to consider Northeastern. You also have to consider UConn, who's building off their success from the ago. The Huskies made it to the Hockey Championship. You have to talk about them. I think Providence is in the conversation. They've been off the good over the first weekends of the year. And, uh, UMass and UMass Lowell are also in the conversation. So uh, I think the conference is solid, really, stacked from John, what about on the, the women's side of the ledger? Well, on the women's side, I think you, again, Northeastern is the powerhouse. The Huskies have 
picked up right where they left off. Uh, they've won their first four conference games, six and all overall. I think uh, this Northeastern team is completely going from top to bottom. I happen to see them last week. They played Merrimack, and they outshot the Warriors 53 to four. So this is a team that's uh, the goal four lines, but one of the top goaltenders in the country. I just don't see a weakness with this Northeastern team. I like the start for Montreal's gotten off to. Certainly looks tough. You know, you have to also consider Boston College as well. Again, just like the men can, I think the women are extremely competitive, and I think there's no easy game in hockey. Oh, that is that is for sure. John Leahy with us, and uh, John, the, the vo- voice of both uh, Merrimack College men's hockey and uh, Merrimack College uh, women's hockey, and John will be keeping us uh, posted as to uh, what's going on in Hockey East throughout the uh, course of the season. And, John, thanks for spending some time, and uh, we will look forward to seeing you tomorrow night in North Andover. The pleasure is always mine. I always enjoy talking with you. Yes, it will be great seeing you in North Andover. Hopefully we'll give you a nice competitive game. John, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks very much. Take care. John Leahy. The voice of Merrimack College Hockey for uh, a number of years and uh, yeah, freelances, does some other games from time to time uh, as well. Of course, uh, the baseball playoffs, very exciting. We've seen three already. We have seen three 100-plus win teams eliminated from the baseball postseason. We have seen the New York Mets Eliminated. We've seen the Atlanta Braves eliminated. Over the weekend, uh, we saw the Los Angeles Dodgers eliminated by the San Diego Padres. So anything can happen in the baseball postseason. That's what makes it as great as it is. And tonight, it'll be Game 5 of the uh, American League Divisional Series between the Yankees and the Cleveland Indians in New York. Yankees extended the series on Sunday night with a 4-2 win in Cleveland. Garrett Cole, the Yankees' ace, uh, threw, what did he throw, 112, 113 pitches. And uh, he was a stud last night. He was the ace of the Yankees uh, last night. And he was dominant in the 4-2 victory over the Cleveland Guardians. If I said Indians, uh, maybe I did. Uh, The Guardians. And the Guardians and the Yankees will play game five of their series tonight. 7-0-7, the first pitch in the Bronx. So uh, that will be uh, a good one for sure. Game five, winner take all in the Bronx tonight. Joey Logano, who calls New Hampshire Motor Speedway his home track, won yesterday's NASCAR Cup Series race in Las Vegas. Uh, Logano was followed by uh, Ross Chastain, Kyle Busch, Chase Briscoe, and Denny Hamlin. Uh, Boston Bruins will go for their third straight win tonight when the Bees will host the Florida Panthers at the TD Garden. And the NBA is on its way. The Boston Celtics will travel to Philadelphia tomorrow night to open their regular season against the 76ers. So, Lots going on in the world of sports and in the world of news. If you've missed it, 
Tulsi Gabbard is in the state. And who is she supporting? Don Bolduck for United States Senate. Very interesting. That'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company. Thanks to head coach Rick Santos, football coach at UNH, and John Leahy for joining us today. But especially thanks to you for being with us right here on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Have a great Monday, everybody. <laughs>